Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Okay, so who is exhausted? Anybody here who's exhausted already? A lot of people started this year exhausted. And I am just one of the billions of people who is tired. And some psychologists and some doctors are starting to say that the reason why we are so tired is because we still have not recovered from the pandemic. Because what the pandemic required of us was it took all of our reserves, our emotional, our physical, our mental reserves, and we used that to get through the pandemic. But now our storehouses are empty. And so now any little thing that happens, something that you could have handled easily in 2019, now when it happens in 2024, it shakes the foundations of your soul. And so it seems like, okay, if something is empty, the best thing to do is fill it. So we're all looking for ways to fill, to restore, to replenish, to refresh our storehouses so that when the next tragedy or crisis comes, we're ready. And so all around the world, we have people who all they're trying to do is restore. And typically after you've been through a tragedy, the way you restore is based on your worldview. So we're gonna start this message by focusing on some of the worldviews that exist. On the next slide, we have three worldviews that I'm going to present to you. The first is by Sigmund Freud. And he views humanity, he views human beings as inherently pleasure-seeking beings. So we're sexual beings who are driven by our desires. And so people fall into two boats. They're either repressed or they're liberated. So if you subscribe to this worldview right now after the pandemic, you're like, no more masks. I've been repressed for so long. Now I'm just going to live my life to the best of my ability. I want to satisfy every desire. And so I'm going to take every trip that I have not taken. And not only that, because there could be another pandemic coming, YOLO, you only live once. I'm going to empty my bank account and just live my life. All you have to do is talk to a coworker, get on social media, and you see people who are driven to restore what they think they lost by living with no boundaries. The second group of people fall into the Karl Marx viewpoint. And his view is to see human beings as the economic man or the possession man. We are driven by our need and our desire to acquire and own. And so you are either the master or you're the slave. You're either the business owner 
or the person working to satisfy the needs of the corporation. Now, people who have this mentality, what they're doing right now is just trying to pad their bank account because they are terrified of another pandemic that will empty their resources. So while there's a group of people who are living life for pleasure, there's also a group of people that all they're doing is saving, saving, and saving some more because the economic man believes that their possessions are what define them. And then we have the third group, the Friedrich Nietzsche group. And he defines man, it's not about pleasure, it's not about finances, it's about power. And so people with this viewpoint have looked at the world and they're saying, after three years of other people telling me what to do, I now sit in a place of power. I am going to amass power and any system that I thought has oppressed me, I am going to liberate myself from that system. So we have the woke people who all they're trying to do is tear down every civil system. They want to defund the police. They want to decolonize every single thing. They want to deconstruct Jesus. Everything that they're trying to do is motivated by this idea that it is the system that is their enemy. Now, it's important to note that these three worldviews, the economic man, the pleasure man, the power man, are just constructs of man. These three men sat down and at some point they decided to observe humanity. And their observations led them to these conclusions. But here's what scripture has to say. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, everything that the world offers, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. So if right now you're trying to restore yourself by pleasure seeking, it isolates you from the Father. If right now you are trying to restore yourself by storing up your treasures and making sure that every single bank account is full, if that is what is driving you, it isolates you from the Father. If instead what you're trying to do is marginalize people or to destroy every structure that you think has marginalized you, that all-consuming pursuit marginalizes and isolates you from the Father. Now, I know somebody here is saying, yeah, but Kemi, you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't just take all our philosophers and say that they're not smart individuals. 
Like being driven by power, pleasure, or possessions is inherently not a bad thing. Check this out. Here's a quote from um, a guy, Gabor Mate. He's a physician. He's not an Adventist. He says, at the core of every addiction is an emptiness based in abject fear. The addict dreads and abhors the present moment. She bends feverishly only toward the next time. The moment when her brain, infused with her drug of choice, will briefly experience itself as liberated from the burden of the past and the fear of the future. The two elements that make the present intolerable. Now, I know you're saying, but that's the addict on East Hastings. That's not me. And then he comes a little bit closer. Next slide. He says, many of us resemble the drug addict in our ineffectual efforts to fill in the spiritual black hole, the void at the center, where we have lost touch with our souls or spirits, with those sources of meaning and value that are not contingent or fleeting. And then he speaks to consumerism, possession, pleasure, power, our consumerist acquisition, action, and image-mad culture only serves to deepen the whole, leaving us emptier than before. So if someone who's not affiliated with the church realizes that chasing after power, pleasure, or possession is just going to leave us empty, could it be that John was right thousands of years ago. I want to read that same verse on the next slide, 1 John 2, 16, a different translation, the voice translation. It says, all the things that the world can offer you, the allure of pleasure, the passion to have things, and the pompous sense of superiority do not come from the Father. They are rotten fruits of this world. Have you ever had a fruit? Mango. Can I talk about mango for two seconds? Okay. I love mango. And I always send my husband to Costco, Costco to buy me dried mango. Because, and there's like this bag, Kirkland. He asked, yeah, can you buy me dried mango soon? He hasn't bought it in like a month because he will buy the bag. And I will finish it in a week. No joke. Every morning, the first thing I would do, I would literally walk out of bed, go to the kitchen, get dried mango, and then go back into the room to have worship. And the reason why I take so much dried mango is because every time I go to the store and buy a fresh mango and take it home and wait for it to get ripe, I cut it open and it's black. I have been disappointed too many times that now I have just given up on rotten fruits. Could it be that all these things we're chasing to try to restore what we thought we had before the pandemic are like my rotten mangoes? Could it be that if you feel tired, even though the year just started, 
that what you need, the restoration you need, is not going to be found in what you own, the parties you go to, or how much power you have over people. Could it be that, as Garbor Mate says, the only thing that really fills us is spiritual and focuses on the soul and the spirit? Could it be that Jesus knew that there would be a pandemic and that people will be searching. In the book of Jeremiah, I always quote this verse because the, I didn't know about it until like two years ago. But in the book of Jeremiah, it says like, God's beef with you is just two things. It's not the sin that's rampant. It's the fact that you're seeking for refreshment and fulfillment in broken cisterns. You're going to the world when it's only God that can satisfy. So let's talk about Jesus. On the next slide, Hebrews chapter 4, it says, We have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. So let us hold fast our confession. And then I love verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot. It's just like, yo, why do you have to have the double negative? I love it. Here's what I do to my students. When I'm writing an exam, hopefully none of my students are watching this, but when I'm writing an exam and I want to make a question more difficult, I throw in a double negative. Which of these is not true about transistors? There is something about the double negative. And the beauty of, of first century writing is that it really does try to emphasize the point. We do not have a high priest who cannot. He could have just said, we have a high priest who gets our issues. But in says, he says, we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize. But instead, we have a high priest who was tempted in every way that we are. Yet he overcame, so let us boldly approach the throne. Jesus is like 28, 27, younger than me. Think about it. I have lived longer than Jesus lived on this planet. That kind of humbles you, right? So Jesus is like 27, 28. And he wants to share a message. And this is like his first message that he's taking. Matthew chapter 5. It says, And seeing the multitude, he went up into the mountains. And when he was set, the disciples came unto him and he taught them. He has to speak a message that all of them can understand. But in addition to the spiritual factions, you also had the Gen Zs. They're like, yo, he turned water into wine. No cap. Y'all don't know what camp is, right? I found out last, last year. Google it. They're like, no cap. And then you have the Gen Xers. The Gen Xers are like, wow, he's reminding us of our childhood. There's something beautiful about living a life where you can just go to a party and there's enough alcohol. This was before we had children. And then the baby boomers are like, but did he really need to make more alcohol? Why couldn't he just leave it as water? And then you have the millennials and the millennials are in the house and they're just like, yo, he's totally cool, dude. Rad, emoji, like in the chat. 
And he has all these groups that he's trying to talk to. Matthew 5, 1 and 2, And seeing the multitude, he went up into the mountain, and when he was set, the disciples came to him, and he taught them, saying, and the first word that comes out of his mouth is blessed. Now, I'm with the Gen Zs. I'm like, you're supposed to tear down the hegemony, sexist, racist. You need to tear down the structure. And the first thing you say is blessed are the poor in spirit. You've been practicing this in your head for 28 years, right? And your first sermon, the first thing you take to parliament is blessed. And he doesn't just say Blessed are the rich, because that's what we expect. Because in Jewish culture, you knew that God blessed you based on the number of houses and cars you had and donkeys and lamps. If you were sick, obviously you had sinned. But the first thing he says is blessed are those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt. And I just wonder... I just wonder if Jesus started the first message he's taking to all the groups, Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes, the Zealots who want to burn everything down, Gen Z, Gen X, Millennials. If he saw all of them and he realized the most important thing for you to know is that whatever emptiness you have, I bring a blessing upon you. The first time we see the word bless in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 12. Jesus is, no, uh, well, God is talking to Abraham. Yeah, Jesus is. Jesus is talking to Abraham and he's like, I will bless you and make you a blessing to the nations. I was doing a training on Thursday night. Snow, like seriously, y'all. Anyway, I was doing a training on Thursday night. I made it to the building, snow covered. And at the end of the training, I think I had done some land acknowledgement and I, I talked about how unseated actually meant uh, stealing the land. And this student walks up to me after and she says, Dr. K, you said you're a Christian, but you also did a land acknowledgement. Don't you understand that Joshua and, and you know, the Bible is all about colonization? And there were tears in her eyes. And she's like, I'm not a Christian, but I really want to understand why you think colonization is a bad thing. And there is this false belief that when Jesus utters the words blessed, he only meant it for a few group of people. But even in Genesis chapter 12, he blessed Abraham so Abraham could be a blessing. It wasn't about Abraham getting pleasure, possession, or power. It was so everyone who was broken knew that their being refreshed, being restored, being replenished came from Jesus. Here's interesting about the word blessing. I was doing some research. The word bless comes from the root Latin word that's based on the word blood. You see, English, English is not a good language, oh. 
Let's talk true. Let's talk true. English is not a good language. It has removed so much of the beauty. The word bless comes from the root word blood. So when Jesus opens his mouth and say blessings, he is saying the blood that I shed has put an end to all of life's misery and has created for you a future that the devil cannot take away. And here's why it's different from Karl Marx and Nietzsche and Sigmund Freud. They observed society, but they didn't put their blood in it. When Jesus pronounced blessing, he was saying, everything you lack, I restore. And I'm not just restoring it so you could be happy and throw a party. I'm restoring it so that sickness ends forever. When he said blessing, he was not saying, I will bless you in the future. He's saying the blessing is there for you today. The restoration is there for you today. The refreshment is there for you today. And I know it because I came to be a sacrifice for you. That emptiness you feel, he endured the breaking that will make you whole. That pain you feel, he endured the breaking that will make you whole. That anger at that family member for that thing they did 20 years ago, he endured the breaking that will make you whole. The injuries he suffered became our healing. So there's a book that's trending and it's been like number one for like forever. Um, it's like Homo sapiens. It's sapiens. It's by this guy, Yuval Noah Harari. If you've not heard of it, it's a big book. Like everyone out there in the world is talking about it. And he is one of the great minds of our age. He's the Nietzsche, um, uh, Sigmund Freud, Karl Marx. And he says this in his book. He says, humans have no natural rights just as spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. As far as we can tell from a purely scientific viewpoint, human life has absolutely no meaning. Humans are the outcome of blind evolutionary processes that operate without goal or purpose. Hence, any meaning that people ascribe to their lives is just a delusion. There's something I find interesting, that a lot of people who believe we evolved over centuries still believe that we can have rights when it's in direct contradiction to the evolutionary process. If everything is by chance, one of the greatest minds is telling us that any meaning we choose to ascribe, any right we choose to give a human is a delusion. And the only reason why we do it is to keep order. There's two viewpoints in this world. That your right to life is a delusion and that you were created for purpose by a God of love. You can only fall in one of those two buckets. But people in bucket A 
keep on wanting the rights that don't exist in their system. We all are searching for fulfillment. We all want to be restored and refreshed. And God is saying, for every deficiency, I am sufficient. For every need, I will supply. Every emotion that you feel, you can bring it before God. Every disappointment, every anger, every doubt, God is bigger than your doubts. Sometimes I go to God and I just have a list of questions. And at the end of the prayer, I still have my list of questions. But he doesn't think less of us. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, And seeing the multitude, he went up into the mountain. And when he had sat down, the disciples came to him, and he taught them, saying, Blessed. Amen. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.